it doesn't matter whether you're the CEO or the cleaner, everyone is the same. Treat mm. everyone with respect, mm. but no one is better than anyone else. Meet Anna Jameson. Anna is the presenter of BBC Radio Manchester's Breakfast Show. She's also a TV reporter on Northwest Tonight, and you can hear her on Five Live too. I love speaking to Anna because she shares so many of the Roland Dransfield values. She's a real grafter, and she's so passionate about speaking up for underserved voices in Greater Manchester. We caught up in City Tower in Manchester City Centre, and I wanted to know how does she go from what she describes as an ordinary normal upbringing in Blackburn to being on air at the BBC? What's it really like breaking the news one minute and interviewing celebrities the next? And how did her nan's advice help her when it comes to holding powerful people to account on our behalf? I'm Lisa Morton and this is We Built This City. Anna, welcome to We Built This City. Thanks so much for having me. You're an adopted Manc. I am. Born in Blackburn and you live in Bury now, do you? I do, yeah, in Totty, Tottington. This is a bit faster to get into Media City for your breakfast show. <laughs> I know. It, well, to be honest, it's always dead quiet when I come in. Um, so I set off around half past four. And yeah, the roads are quiet. It, when, I get, when I'm coming home, they are not no. quiet. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nice to be back in like Greater Manchester living here as well. I've lived in Bury for around three years and I love it. Mm. I love how like down to earth everyone is. It feels a bit like Blackburn in many ways, but then yeah, Manchester's just on my doorstep mm. when I when I go out and misbehave. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about misbehaving shortly. I mean, I was at Media City with you this morning, and yeah. I was obviously very privileged to have uh, been invited to come and talk about Manchester trends and stuff. And you were bossing it. And as we were saying just before recording this, it was, you know. Two years ago, I'd never really been behind a mic. I used to put all my um, clients in front of it. So it's been a big change, but a real learning curve. And Honestly, <laughs> I don't know why you get so worried about it. You're a natural. <laughs> you've got you've such a good broadcasting voice. Seriously. Oh, like thank you. And, and when you do the trending news review, everything's very measured. Uh, you're dead confident. And just like you said, informative as well. So you just need to get over it because honestly, your class... <laughs> You're brilliant. <laughs> Just get over it, thank you. That's what Helen says to indicate who are our producers. <laughs> but no, I do, I've enjoyed it. But it's clear that how much you love that. I mean, you're a natural. And when I listen to it on the radio, you've just got such a great voice and you always seem very happy. You can hear the smile in your voice. So, you know, what's important to you in the morning when you're presenting? How do you make sure that everyone's waking up, you know, and feeling good about the day? I, I don't know, really. It's firstly coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that is like imperative I get into work and then Carol upstairs makes me a cappuccino she I just walked through the door and she goes cappuccino so once I've got that um I think it's just a real privilege and honor isn't it to be able to wake up greater Manchester I mean yeah what 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 a job like Amazing. I'm, I'm well aware of how lucky I am to be able to do it it's like what's not to enjoy amazing and that's exactly it and it's I would feel privileged myself even doing that little bit this morning I was saying telling my mum on the way into work before and she said she was dead proud of me did she listen she no because she but she's going to now oh, she likes her. a bit of a lie in my mum now she's got a bit older so it's a bit early for her but I'm sure she will she, she will now um and it's interesting because your journey to radio has not been a direct route has it but no. for me doing some digging around your your background it's definitely a story of graft yeah and determination so 
I just wanted to start with your family because I know you come from a big family and mm-hmm. it strikes me that they're the family of grafters. So tell me a bit about that. Yeah, um, I'm really close to my family. My dad's from Blackburn, you know, grew up on a council estate. My mum's from a town called Gisborough in the northeast, so outside Middlesbrough. So, you know, like real like beacons in the UK, <laughs> these towns, like they're the hot spots. Uh, but again, you know, very tough backgrounds, really, both of them. But, you know, my nan, and I was so close to her, and she's my dad's mum. She always says, Anna, we never had any money, but we had a lot of love. And, you know, it's these kind of values, and I know you're about your values, and like morals, really, that I've been brought up with. And I think that's kind of always steered me in the right direction. So although I've moved sideways and I felt lost at times, I've always kind of known what I'm about. Um, and, and I think I am very, very privileged to come from a really like strong family like the Jamesons. Honestly, it's like blooming mafia. <laughs> you should see us on Christmas, Irish Catholics. Like 30 cousins. And I've got two younger sisters, Emily and Beth, and they mean the world to me. And yeah, I grew up in Blackburn, very like ordinary upbringing, you know, just like playing out, you know, going, going to town on Saturday, having a coffee with my nan getting a few bits then coming back watching Saturday night TV just a very like ordinary normal upbringing really and I think like in a a town like Blackburn and and it's mirrored right across Greater Manchester whether that's Rochdale, Oldham, Bolton, Bury, Ashton, Stockport you're kind of instilled with a set of values you know everyone is cut from the same cloth no one's better than anybody else Mm. And again, you know, it's just kind of what I'm about now, really. Mm. And was it always important to you as a young person to work hard and do your best? And was that something that your family expected from you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My mum my was a teacher. She, oh, can you believe this? She taught the same school that I went to. Oh, really? I mean, seriously, <laughs> like, how do you ever get over that as a kid? <laughs> when like, you were there at the same time? Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, my. God. I, I, didn't, I didn't get into school with her. I got the bus because I wanted to be like everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, you know, my dad, he was a joiner and then he trained to be um, a surveyor. So, you know, every, everyone had to fight really hard. Like my mum was like the first woman in her family to go to uni. She, you know, her mum and dad had a right deal with her saying, why aren't you working and, you know, bringing in mon- money mm. for your mum. But, you know, they worked hard and they instilled that work ethic in us, me and my two sisters. And, I've, you know, I'm not naturally like... I've, you know, I've, I've got I've got something about me, but I'm not like really intelligent. Like my sister Emily, she's so clever. Mm. She works at Salford Royal, and she makes people walk again. Like she does prosthetics and orthotics. It's insane. It's like physics and maths and all this stuff that I just cannot understand. And um, but I guess what I've always had, and my younger sister Beth has always had, is that determination, that graph, that work ethic, showing up each day, doing your best, earning your stripes. And that determination and grit, a graft, is just what we're all about. Mm. And I know, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do the job I'm, I'm doing now without it. Absolutely. Not a cat and else chance. No, I mean, for all the glamour that it kind of, you know, when you're sitting on the other side of the radio, it sounds so glamorous. But like you say, you know, <laughs> half past three starts and 11 o'clock going to bed with your non-alcoholic beer writing questions for the quiz the next day <laughs> it's just depressing <laughs> really isn't it yeah that's that's my that's my nightcap and um 
a lot of people that you know that I've interviewed who are very successful at what they do have said that had they chosen something that they didn't love, uh, they just wouldn't be as successful as they are now. I mean, that goes without saying. So, um, but when I was looking at your background, you didn't choose journalism to start off with, did you? You went into to drama and English lit. So, did did you not love that? Was that did that not kind of light your fire at the time? It's a strange one, really. I, was, I always thought like I was dead interested in media. And I, I excelled at it at school. Um, but I love drama and acting. And um, I used to actually get the training from Blackburn to Manchester, Victoria um, each week and do drama classes with David Johnson, who sadly died in the last year. He used to run Oldham Theatre mm -hmm. Workshop um, and then went to Lane Johnson. And I, I used to do those classes and I thought that was where I was going. And um, I then got in this like, really prestigious place at Leeds it was really difficult to get onto and I got there and I felt like I opened my mouth and I felt like the lecturers and the teachers they just didn't take me seriously because of my accent and I felt like unworthy to be there like I just didn't feel like I was good enough or like I would ever be good enough because I wasn't from a public school I wasn't I had this like really privileged upbringing and that's just genuinely how I always felt so it, it kind of put me off a bit, really, as well. Like, you know, when you're talking about your theatre as well, and you're like, someone walks on the stage. I mean, this is just me personally, but I'm very practical and pragmatic. It's like, so what does that mean? What, can, what are they saying about that person walking on the stage? Well, <laughs> nothing. The walks on the stage, like, it doesn't tell you about anything. You know, it's not practical. You're not helping people. You're not making a difference. Um, so... You know, maybe that was never meant to be, but I learned so much from the acting side and it, and I kind of realised from that that I actually cared about what real people are doing and what is going on in the real world. So, you know, I guess journalism, it was clearly there. It was like saying, hiya, yeah. come on, this is for you. But I just never had the confidence to do it. Had you done some work experience when you were much younger in journalism? Yeah, when everyone else was like going to the chippy <laughs> or hairdressers, you know, like that. Do you remember it? Did you do it? Like these two days work experience at school. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to the Telegraph. I'm going to be a Lancashire Evening Telegraph. I'm going to do the papers. I'm going to be where it's buzzing. And uh, yeah, so I guess, you know, it's always there, that ambition. I just didn't put two and two together. I think like English lit though and, and um, drama in a way is perfect foundation for radio presenting, presenting yeah. of any kind. It's weird, isn't yeah. it, how it works out? Yeah, strange route. I always do think you end up where you're meant to be. I agree, totally. So you went to London, did you, after yeah. that? Yeah. How do you get on there? Well, Media City hadn't opened at this point. Yeah. So I didn't think there was any opportunity really here um, because I just felt like London, if you're in media or, you know, that kind of creative world... You know, you had to be in London. And so, you know, that was before Manchester had really taken off. So, well, I mean, it had, but you know what I mean, in the media sense. So I, so I went down to London and I got a job doing events because I thought, well, that relates to theatre a bit. Terrible at it. <laughs> and honestly, the, the, the key thing if you're organising events is that you need to be organised. <laughs> I am not organised. Uh, so that was a disaster. <laughs> Managed two years, don't know how. Um, and then um, the person who did the voice of God, he's called John Briggs. So when you're at an event or an award ceremony, you'll hear a man or a, a woman going, oh, ladies and gentlemen, sit down in your seats. And the, the guy who did that was the voice of Siri. 
Um, oh. And he used to be the voice of the weakest link and he did voiceovers and he says, oh, do you want to come and work in my broadcasting agency? So I started like representing people like Ken Bruce, Charlotte Green, Harry Enfield. And it got to a stage where I was like, right, I've kind of like done this now. If I'm going to do journalism, and I knew in my heart of hearts that that's what, where I was meant to be. Mm. I'm going to have to go back, go on, book up my ideas, stop having too much of a good time, retrain as a journalist. And that's what I did. How old were you then? 26. Right. Well, like you said, you had plenty under your belt at that point. Um, yeah. How did it feel to actually do that, to go, cause presumably studying with people who were a lot younger than you at the time? Yeah, I mean, it was a post-grad course. It wasn't, you know, mm. it was a one-year course. It w- wasn't a three-year. And I think my mum and dad could tell how unhappy I was in London. Something just never really sat right with me. Again, ne- like probably a bit of an imposter syndrome. Mm. I f- probably felt like people were judging me. Mm. They used to mock my accent at work, you know, in like big corporate op- offices. Mm. No one took me seriously. Mm. And, you know, that that instills like a real sadness in you as well and I just felt like such a sense of not belonging and so I think my mum and dad were were desperate for me to be happy and they probably knew that this was the right route for me so you know they they brought me back in the house which was tough after you've been away and had your own freedom and I you know I remember like starting the course and um, getting a job at the local pub and I was like polishing cutlery in the back you know, I'd had a quite a well-paid job at this point. And I was like, what am I doing? Mm. Like, what? Why am I doing this? But, you know, I did it. Like, I got one day a week at Radio Lancashire, just, like, answering the phones and started doing work experience with them. I was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar. <laughs> it wasn't. It was a, <laughs> it was a pub in Lancashire. I was say, do they have any cocktail bars? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no is the answer. They, they, they had beer <laughs> and, bo- and all those tiny bottles of wine. Yeah, um, and you know, and, and do my course as well. Mm. So again, that grit and the graft, and I just did it, and I was determined. I was, I wasn't going to fail at it. It's interesting what you say about London because I, my first job, well, actually when I was at university, they did this milk round, and I don't even know if they still do that, where all the businesses would come to the universities and recruit. And I got an induction at an advertising agency in London. And I thought that's what I wanted to do. And I went down for the induction and it was literally full of Sloan's home county. I was the only one with like flat vowels. They were all yeah. smoking Marlboro lights. And I just thought, I can't. I did four days and I was like, no. And my mum and my dad were gutted because, you know, in those days you thought London was the place where the opportunity was because in Manchester in 1990, we're here in City Tower and we're looking out the window and it's it's a pretty impressive city now. But then there was no opportunity here. We're just coming out of industrial post-revolution and all the buildings were black. So I kind of came back and my first job was working for a one-man band in a, a PR company on Salford Crescent. Wow. And it was deemed, even though I was, only, I was 21, it was deemed early failure. <laughs> 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 so I did feel that fall from grace in a way that I you know and I I felt that I was backtracking but I had like you you know that determination that I was going to make my way I was just going to do it in a different way yeah yeah and and you've ended up exactly where you needed to be exactly exactly the top of city tower with me I mean (laughs) talk about falls from grace (laughs) (laughs) and so as you say I mean like you were really you were kind of grafting you're doing three jobs 
how did you make the move then from you at Radio Lancashire were you then yeah to, how did you come to, to make the move to Manchester um so I'd done some like work experience and I got more shifts at Radio Lancashire at the same time I was working I got shifts at Key 103 at the weekends um at Bower reporting and uh, I was doing seven days a week and uh, the guy at Bower rang me up and he says listen if you don't stop your work's going to become shoddy mm. and that was a really good lesson actually because you never want your work to be shoddy but I, was, I just didn't want to turn down any work and I was just so grateful um but he was like where do you want to go Anna if your name's in lights and I'm like I don't think I want my name in lights <laughs> I just think I want to be happy at my job you know it was never an aspiration um I, you know, so I did choose to carry on with Radio Lancashire because just of circumstances at the time and my relationships and then I got offered an attachment at Radio Manchester and um, what a patch what an incredible patch and I've always loved Manchester you know I've always had this big connection I used to come here sh like shopping in 18 19 like go out, go out you know like 42s wherever Fifth <laughs> Avenue it's not like it was a you know an alien city to me it was like my second home yeah. and I was like of course I was meant to be here you idiot, why didn't you come here straight away? And do you know what I find about Manchester? Is that no one's trying to drag anyone else down. People want you to do well. Mm. And people have got you back. And I really felt like that here. Suddenly, I felt like all these opportunities started coming my way at Radio Manchester. And uh, my boss, Kate, um, she says, right, I want you to go and do early reporting for us, which means getting up at like four o'clock and uh, driving around Greater Manchester, going to different places, whether it's a Greasy Spoons, whether it's Bolton Bus Station, whether it's the new um, RHS, you know, Bridgewater Gardens, mm. it could be, you know, anywhere um, and start reporting. And so I just really built up my air miles there, just going out, meeting people and, uh, I think people just like, this was when Chelsea Norris, who used to be on yeah. Key 103, was doing the show. And I've got on really well with her. And I think people could just tell how much of a good time I was having. Because <laughs> I was just, I was having a ball. It does, it does like wear you thin, though, when you're stuck in Greater Manchester traffic <laughs> all that <laughs> oh, time. I can imagine. <laughs> and were you ever nervous, like, when you first started to do that and get oh on the God, mic? Terrified. How did you deal with that? I mean, and what were you kind of, you talked about imposter syndrome before, so. Um... I don't know. Like I had some encouraging friends and encouraging employees um, who really gave me a sense of confidence. You know, I made sure I was well prepared. And I, I guess as well, like when I was training, like they really did instill a great deal of confidence in me there. I can't actually praise um, UCLAN um, mm. enough, the University of Central Lancashire there. They, re they really do build you up. And... You know, you just, and maybe it's like the bit of the performative thing starts coming out as well. It is a performance, isn't mm. it, in a way? Yeah. I mean, I was watching this morning and I just thought it is, it is incredible because you're literally running that show and you've got all sorts of stuff coming in and Charlie's running and telling you this and you just were completely unfazed with a massive smile on your face the whole way through. Yeah. So, yeah, so it has come naturally to you eventually. Did your nan ever know that you'd made it into journalism? Oh, I don't. Oh, no, <laughs> did she not? <laughs> I should be so proud of you. Does she encourage you then? She was she right behind you? Um, sorry, I don't know why I've got so upset. Oh, don't worry. No one's ever asked me that before. I cry at everything. Um, no, she, um, 
you know, she died when I was 17, so she knew I'd gone to uni at Leeds. But I do think we should be, like, proper proud mm. because, um, you know, like, the people that I speak to are, like, underserved communities a lot of the time. Mm. People have got their own fights going on, their own battles. And she had that, you know, she had a really tough life and... Yeah, I hope I've done it proud. Oh, I'm sure you have. You, it's probably I'm so sorry. Don't, absolutely, it's good to cry. My nan used to say my eyes are tuning in my bladder because I get <laughs> emotional about stuff like that. I mean, I think um, what comes across to me in, in kind of listening to you on the radio and, and it's interesting, isn't it, how the thing that you said you felt hurt by was people criticising your accent. And I think accents are now very much more celebrated, aren't they? Yeah than they were have you found a big difference going to bbc radio manchester because obviously accents and regional dialects are really encouraged aren't they yeah absolutely and i don't i don't think that the bbc has always been like that but definitely um you know in recent years in the last 20 years or so we've really started to see regional accents come to the forefront and I definitely do think that, I don't know, maybe my boss got me on the radio because she's like, oh, yeah, we'll get a common voice on her, <laughs> you know. We'll get someone a bit more, like, <laughs> northern-sounding who people can relate to. Definitely. Um, and it helps you connect with people as well. If you're, like, stopping people and asking people questions out on the street or whatever, and you're like, hey, love. And it's it, it could just be anybody, you know, asking them a question, and people trust you a bit more as well if you sound like them. So... Like I say, I've never felt more welcomed when I came to Greater Manchester. I felt not very welcome when I came to London. I had a really great time in Leeds, mm -hmm. but you know, some of my the best friends in the world who are still my best mates today in Leeds. But here in Manchester, it's welcome. You you know, you come as you are. And yeah, like now having a regional voice on the BBC and I know they want to do more of it you know it represents the country that we live in you mm. know we're not in this London bubble we're not um all RP we haven't all gone to public school this is real life and I think suddenly like the countries and the government as well is um starting to realize that mm. when I came back to Manchester from university I've been in Birmingham I picked up a whole you know we like it yeah it was like a pick a mix accent it was it was god knows where that everyone thought i was from because i do pick accents up but when i first started my it was my second job and it was in pr company we did professional services quite a lot um property and somebody said to me in a meeting where are you from and i said i'm from salford and they said never say that again say you're from cheshire and <gasps> i know i'm with his 25 or longer probably yes yeah, nearly 30 years ago and obviously I'd, i would never do that but my accent over the years has got more and more mank. I know it has, and my friends say that. I think it's because it's accents are celebrated now. You don't want to sound like received speech, yeah. do you? And, and like you say, that London bubble. I think people lean into it a bit more now because they know it's an asset. Mm, def definitely, yeah. So more flat vowels, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cocker. <laughs> What comes across in the way that you report and the way you speak to people is you've got real interest in their stories and you have real empathy. I mean, I heard you this morning 
there's a lady who specialists subjects. Let's take that. And um, this she is got on Manchester <laughs> Mastermind for context. Yeah. A quiz that Manchester I've Mastermind, in. which is amazing. It's so. become a beast in itself. And what do you win? What do you get? <laughs> a BBC Radio Manchester purple deluxe umbrella that all the influencers want, and want Molly May wants to be packed in it. I mean, I don't it, think she does. We're all getting excited <laughs> about this. When I first heard that, I thought, what? And then now, like everyone wants the umbrella. Well, this lady this morning, whose specialist subject was take that blaster, didn't get one question right, and you were so unbelievably like empathetic and encouraging so she you know I she she went off that call having had an amazing time you made her feel so good so what for you you know what is that inherent trait that you have about that warmth and and making people feel so good so that they will open up and and be themselves I don't know it's, it's just you know it's just not being I know one of your values is don't be a dickhead <laughs> you know it's that like don't yeah. be a dickhead be kind because you you know there's always someone off worse off than you um everyone you know it's all it's all like the stereotypical catchphrases but you know it, it's there isn't it that you know people just want to chat and it's about being that friend and being that person and I think everyone's got good in them so Mm. it's just getting that out really mm. and I think I've, I've heard or you, you said something that in the past that the unit is it's sometimes you get into the media and you become a known person become a celebrity as you have become it's easy to get an ego around that and that's very very important to you that you know you stay humble and that you have that it's even weird you saying that I'm a celebrity, honestly. Oh, you like, are? I just No, I'm not. I'm just, honestly, I'm just an idiot <laughs> from Blackburn who lives in Berry, who likes going to like B&M Bargains and Aldi at the weekends. Middle Isle. <laughs> Love the Middle Isle. Um, you know, just, I'm just not. Like, I'm just a normal person like everyone else, you know. I don't think anyone's better than anyone else. And back to my nan, she always said to me, it doesn't matter whether you're the CEO or the cleaner, Everyone is the same. Treat mm. everyone with respect, mm. but no one is better than anyone else. And that, again, is another great value to have if you're mm. ever worried about interviewing somebody important, you know, whether that's the prime minister, whether you're interviewing somebody who has a coffee shop on a train station. It's everybody is the same and you all end up in the same place. Mm. So, you know, don't be afraid of anyone. So talking about not being afraid of anyone, the last time I came in, you were, you'd interviewed um, somebody very... I was frightened of someone. (laughs) Thanks for that. Just like poo-pooed my... You didn't sound like you were, but you said that you had been. So tell us about that, because that was, must have been a privilege. It's funny, isn't it? Because where our offices are and our studios are at Radio Manchester, it's just near the breakfast studios on BBC One in the morning. Uh, So you do see all kinds of people coming in. And I just got a buzz in my ear from my producer, Charlie, who you mentioned before, who's class, by the Mm. way. And uh, he says, so just to let you know, um, in half an hour, you're going to be interviewing Sir Michael Parkinson. And I just went, (laughs) what? (laughs) Are you joking me? The king of the interviewers. I was like, ooh, like wretched at the mic. You know, obviously the fader was down. (laughs) Uh, So it wasn't an awful listen. I was so nervous. And I'm thinking, remember what your nan said? Remember what your nan said? No one's better than anyone else. So, you know, you do do go in with that. But never have I felt more intimidated interviewing somebody else who just excelled at interviews, you know, who could just listen. And... 
you know, be focused and people just opened up to him. You know, there wasn't any PR departments when he was doing that. You know, celebrities wanted to chat to him. And so I felt an incredible um, sense of nervousness. And when he came in to the studio, all was fine because, again, they're just a normal person. And his son was there. He was great. Mm. It was it was difficult because he was very frail mm. and that was quite a shock. Mm. Um, but, you know, we, we had a half an hour chat and that never ha- really happens in radio. Usually you're meant to go to a song. And I just thought, I'm just going with this because it was just, you know, lovely and... He opened up a bit about, you know, different things. And he talked about George Best, who was a really good friend of his. And, you know, he he got emotional in the interview. And I was like, I can't believe he opened up like that, mm. really. And, yeah, it, was, it just exploded on social media, this video. It just went everywhere. Um, but what a privilege yeah. to be in the same room as him. But then yeah. for him to open up like that. he said, And at the end, he said he enjoyed it. I was like, well... That's it now. I'll <laughs> okay, I'm quitting. <laughs> <laughs> Time for lie down in a dark yeah, room. Yeah. <laughs> but you've obviously got, I mean, he has been interviewed a lot, but you've got a different side to him there, and that's your characteristics and your empathy, again, that's made him feel comfortable to have that conversation with you. It's, that's a real talent. Thank you. But you've got it because you've made me cry, so <laughs> don't you even start. And I've never cried before <laughs> in public like that. <laughs> and I think it's Michael Parkinson. You know, I, I remember... As a kid, he was on a Saturday night, and I used to beg my parents to let me stay up to to watch that. Yeah. Um, because he was, you know, he was master interviewer, and there's so much you can learn. But it, it was, um, yeah, his ability to get those stories out of people. It was very, very funny. So, who else have you interviewed, or you know, have there been any of the standout moments on radio that you really kind of look back and think, yeah, that was a magical moment? Uh, yeah. So uh, this week. Um, I, I don't know if you saw it, probably, unless you've been hiding under a rock. Jack Grealish, when he celebrated the, his goal, the sixth goal against Iran uh, in the World Cup opener for England, he did the dedication to Finlay. He's 11, 12 years old from Withenshaw, goes to Charlton High, and he came into the studio. And honestly, I had the best time with him. <laughs> what a bundle of joy. I was playing Taylor Swift on to Hero when he came in, and he was just singing and dancing along. I was like, yes, Finlay, go for it. And he just came out with this incredible wisdom, just saying, listen, you know, I just don't want anybody to be scared of people who are a bit different to them. They should treat everybody the same. Um, you know, just because they've got different needs than you doesn't mean they're any less important. Well, I was just yeah. trying to keep it together. It was a blubbering mess. Um, and, you know, at the end, he, we put three lines on and he was just singing at the top of his voice. So what a moment, Amazing. you know. And he's become a little star in himself. It just, uh, you know, what a gorgeous, what a gorgeous lad. Uh, so that was really special. You know, it's such a privilege to be able to interview loads of different people. I love my regular listeners who I speak to daily. Um, yeah, they just they just crack me up. They're off the reds. Um, <laughs> so early in the morning as well. I know. I know. <laughs> we do have a laugh. Um, but then, oh my God, when Steps walked in, my heart was like beating ten to the dozen. All five of them. And I, I asked them before the interview started, oh, would we be able to do a dance afterwards together? And I filmed it. So there's a, 
there's a video of us doing the five, six, seven, eight dance all together <laughs> afterwards. Just like twelve year old me would have been like, ah, like melted. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that they were amazing. Love them. Amazing. And do you ever get a stage fright now? Like if, if that, you know, I mean, you mentioned um, Michael Parkinson before, but do you sometimes do you still get that adrenaline rush or those, you know, those nerves before a show? Yeah, no, I, I do. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just just trying to wake up first thing in the morning and and it's strange because you know in a radio studio you could be broadcasting to one person you could be broadcasting to 10,000 people you don't really mm. know um and so it kind of feels the same each day I, I do when I do like events and awards and I get up and speak I'm like gosh there's actually people looking at me here because usually does it make a big difference that yeah because yeah. you're like oh my god they're looking at me I yeah. know I'm not used to it usually I'm just like <laughs> or if I've done something for Northwest tonight, it'll be in a camera. You know, it's not in front of people. So it's like, yeah, that's kind of what I trained in doing theatre. So it takes me back to that a bit. So it, I don't know, that's a bit unnerving. Mm. And we talk about relationships at Roman Drums. Be like, you know, we've had a business now for 26 years. And you mentioned before that your nan said that everyone's the same and be kind to people, no matter kind of what's what where they are in, the, in their journey. And I was told by my very first boss be good to the junior reporter because that junior reporter is going to be the editor one day and you want to going to get your story on the front page and that's very good advice in life how important do you feel relationships have been to you in terms of where you are now in your career or how you can you know have a successful show you know what do you kind of need to dig into in everything you know every person that you meet you know has got I, this this is the thing with journalism isn't it like everybody's got a story to tell mm. and every contact every person could be fantastic in any different circumstance and with you know breaking news in particular you need to have those contacts in order to find out a story whether that's a local politician whether it's a business owner whether it's a head teacher you just never know um you know when you'll need them again for for any kind of story um that could hopefully like make a real impact or a real difference so in terms of being a journalist and a reporter then you know that's it's just vital you can't do your job without it and working on those relationships is imperative because then you get the story first they come to you with it it's not on a press release mm. so you know just vital you, you can't do it otherwise and i think within work as well I think it's very good to be your own person I don't like sucking up to people I don't think that's a good way to go about but I th again it's that being respectful and and you know you gain that respect by working hard and being kind and being you know supportive of other people and so I think those relationships automatically form once you are true to yourself and you and, and you're good to others as well mm. Like even when you're just starting out, make sure you get do the bruise for everyone. Mm. I hate it when people come in and you know they expect to be on the radio straight away, or they expect to get all the big jobs or anything. And you know you you earn your stripes. That's how you get on in life, and you earn your stripes by building those relationships, by doing the jobs that no one else wants to do. Mm. And like I remember, children in need. I was a pudsey for one year, going around schools. You know. And, and I did that, <laughs> I was, I can't breathe. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's, just, it's just getting on with everyone and 
and you know you're not you're not going to get on with everyone are you but it's always a bit about having that level of courtesy and respect mm. yeah one of our values is sweep the sheds and that's no jobs too small so it means that you know we've all got to clean up after ourselves yeah. and it doesn't matter where you're on the organization you still you know should be making brews and you know it's we're all trying to get to the same goal aren't we we've just got to help each other out yeah um and in terms of the values again you know we, we've chatted about values throughout this conversation but was there anything in the Roman Dransfield way that really stood out for you and the, how you show up in your life? I thought that um, it was it was interesting, one, and I think I've li- like really worked on this in the last couple of years, is the admit it, fix it, move on. Mm. Now, I'll always admit when I've done something wrong, like, yeah, it was me, I messed up, I've been the idiot, I'm sorry, I've never been too proud to hold my hands up. I am a worrier, though, and... It's something I've really tried to work on on myself and just try and move on from it um, because I beat myself up about things and it's not healthy. It's mm. not good. You know, everyone's a work in progress, aren't they? But that's something that like stood out to me like, yeah, I really need to stop worrying like I do. Mm. It's because I care, but yeah. yeah, I do need to get better at moving on and I think I'm getting there. And I think often once you've made the mistake and owned it, um, yeah, yeah. often what comes out of that is you know you're in a better place than you were before the mistake so yeah, yeah. like you say it's, it's kind of self-development isn't it and should be kind to ourselves you seem to really find it your responsibility to stand up for the underdog yeah, I feel that you you know you feel very emotionally attached to some of the key issues that are in the region so you want to kind of call out behaviours through your journalism um, that we should be aware of and, and hold people to account. So can you tell me some of the, are there any issues currently? I know, for example, Rochdale housing situation currently for you is something that you feel very passionately about. Yeah, I, I think this is the beauty of local journalism as well and why it should be protected is that there's so many underserved communities, particularly in Greater Manchester, who just don't get their voices heard you know and as a journalist you know you can't help everyone that upsets me because I want to be able to help anyone who presents a story to me you know we can't do everyone and you know again you know I I have my own battles with that um but you know if if, you know if you do see an injustice and, and you can do something about it and there's the resources there I think absolutely you have to and those people who are in positions of privilege and power need to be held to account you know it's why they're there and if you don't have the journalist asking those questions that that becomes dangerous particularly on a local level where you don't have that 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 interest um so you mentioned Rochdale Borough Wide Housing a shocking case two-year-old Al Bishak um he died his mum and dad um were repeatedly ringing the social housing provider saying we've got mold and damp in our flat um, the lawyer came on to my show last week and says well actually the social housing uh, team advised them to paint over it and now he died of respiratory conditions now this isn't the only problem i'm sure within social housing across greater manchester or the entire uk each has their own problems but this is just a classic example of people not feeling like they're getting the voices heard or feeling like that their issues or their lives are worthy of being addressed. And 
you know, that Rochdale Borough Wide Housing have released a statement this week saying that we accept our failings, they've removed the chief executive, they're going to make, you know, good steps towards sorting it out. I think Michael Gove is in the region today. Um, and it's just a classic case of something that could have been so overlooked and, the, you know, people could have got away with it and this, you know, parents ultimately lost their, lost mm. their little son who's mm. beautiful. Um so yeah, it's it's cases like that that I think that we have a real great sense of duty in, uh, on a local level in local mm. journalism to keep reporting on. I think it's crucial. Yes, absolutely. I think I think you're absolutely right. You on uh, during the pandemic? Do you break any news around that time? Yeah, gosh, I was. Um, well, I was meant to be doing the breakfast show from the start of pandemic, and then local radio bosses changed three hour shows to four hours which meant fewer shows and um, so within two days I was moved to the evening show because it, they needed one person doing the four hour show there they couldn't have many people in the studios it was really uncertain wasn't it, it was mm, scary yeah. at that time and so I was doing the evening shows during the start of the pandemic this is when no one was going out and it was all a bit of a novelty it was all very moody well I know yeah at the time yeah, yeah it was um I mean, it was great for me because I got to, you know, I got, I got to go out, which I know is like dead lucky. It had a bit of a vibe around it. it. Was it was really good fun? I felt like we were all in a club and we were all in it together, you mm. know. And people were ringing in, just saying, "Oh yeah, we're playing this game, we're doing this jigsaw, or you know, whatever else." And you know, so that was that was amazing. But it was at that time that Boris Johnson announced a lockdown, so I had to cross that live each Thursday when we started clapping at eight o'clock. I was on air brought you that there's been a lot of breaking news stories over the last few years that i don't it's been a lot i'm looking forward to a time when like not a lot goes oh, on no. yeah no like, somebody said to me recently politics should be boring so i mean it used to be i don't yeah. know it's not anymore <laughs> like i don't know like just can everyone just chill out please? <laughs> like, thank you you've obviously covered so much stuff you have been across so many Manchester subjects and and successes and also tragedies and it really feels like your role is building a legacy for Manchester so I just wondered what you the story you would like people to tell about you at the end of your career oh gosh um oh gosh you really put me on the spot here I think that just maybe a normal girl from Blackburn, who's hopefully made some kind of a difference in Manchester, connected communities together, had a laugh, um, and hopefully put a smile on people's face each morning. Love it. And I'm sure that's exactly what they all say. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you some quick fire Manchester questions. All right. Okay, Hit so me. firstly, if you could interview anyone from Manchester on air, dead or alive, who would it be? It's got to be David Beckham. Come on. Oh. Right. It's got to be. Well, he's not from Manchester, but he's got a Manchester yeah. connection, yeah. hasn't he? Adopted Manc. Yeah. He ha yeah. Everyone wants to interview Bex, don't they? What do you want to ask him right now? I <laughs> want to say, so this Qatar deal, <laughs> why didn't you answer Joe Lighter? <laughs> What's going on there, David Beckham? It'd be, oh, it'd be great to interview Bex. Of yeah. course it would. What's your favourite news story been that you've covered whilst working on the radio in Manchester? There's been, there's been so many. Um... Probably like the one that every journalist would always say is, oh my gosh, when the monarch dies, that is when, you know, that that is like the biggest thing that you'll ever report on in your life. And f um, 
fortunately or unfortunately, when, you know, when the Queen died, we, we were taken off air. And the following morning, I was the first presenter on the station bringing the news and reporting on the Queen dying. So for me, that was like a career. There was It was four hours of speech, no music. Mm. Uh, and myself and my producer, Charlie, we got really close at that point. And... Um, yeah, it was just one of those shows that you'll you'll never forget. Taking calls, you didn't know which direction it was going to go in next. It's the biggest story you'll ever do. Um, what so did that responsibility feel like? Massive. Yeah, it was huge. I, I I still don't think I've properly processed it. I still think the Queen's alive as well, which is weird. <laughs> go on. So, but like, no, like, <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? I can't believe she's no, she's not here. It's it's strange. I agree. Yeah. So it it was it was weird, like going through that um, kind of like that initial period of uncertainty. Well, yeah. What a moment in history. Yeah. What do you order at the chippy? Right now we're talking. So, <laughs> uh, large cod. <laughs> Although I've become gluten free in like recent years, because yeah, we won't go there. But um, so it would have to be gluten free. So I don't know how many chippies do it. If not, I'm taking the cod out, having large chips, salt and vinegar on the chips, and then mushy peas on the side. It used to be curry sauce. Then I changed to gravy at college. Now it's mushy peas because I think it's one of your five a day. So it's good for your skin. <laughs> I asked these questions to some of the Manchester, the NYPs. And one of the young women there said, just mushy peas. I said, what, you go to the chip and just don't know mushy peas? She needs her head checking. She said she did, yeah, no, very strange. <laughs> um, which one of your personal values sums up Manchester or Mancunians? Um, personal values, it's my... And maybe like earn your stripes, you've got to graft, you know, you've got to have that grit when, when the going gets tough. Just find that like in a... Search for the hero <laughs> inside yourself. No, not that, but you know, like the, the inner grit inside yes. that makes you keep on doing and makes you keep on going. Find mm. that. Love that. And then lastly, I've got to do this because of your amazing Manchester mastermind, <laughs> which is a fairly recent addition to your breakfast show and in the elusive kind of quest for the purple umbrella. Um, <laughs> what would your Manchester specialist subject be? Uh, pop music from the years 1998 to 2002. Wow. And mm. are you pretty kind of confident that you'd smash yeah. that, really? Yeah, you've got to have confidence in your specialist <laughs> subject. Even if you fall <laughs> flat on your face, which we know can happen, if you have the confidence <laughs> of the gift of the cab, you'll get through it. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it. Well, I wish I stayed up till 11 o'clock last night writing those questions <laughs> out. It's too late now. Anna, thank you so much for joining me on We Built This City. I've loved it. And, um, you know, it's clear that you're a voice to celebrate the successes of the city region, but also a voice that holds people to account and makes sure that we, you know, we get a better community for our, for our people. So thank you so much for helping us to build this city. Thank you so much. It's been a real privilege. Thanks. Thank you, Anna. Thanks. Anna Jameson built this city by waking up Greater Manchester with a smile and a voice, by finding a home for her accents, and by getting Manx excited about a purple umbrella. Thank you so much for listening to Series 3 of We Built This City. We're taking a break now, but I can't wait to be back to Season 4. In the meantime, there are so many Greater Mancunians born, bred or adopted to explore. So I'd love it if you could take a look back over the We Built This City feed and give us a rating and a review. 
This podcast was produced by Purposeful Podcasts. If you want to build a community around your business or your brand, please do get in touch with our amazing team through our website, purposefulpodcast.com. If you'd like to find out more about how Roland Dransfield can help you drive your values and create relationships that build your business success, then head over to rdpr.co.uk. Or you can find us on Instagram at Roland Dransfield or Twitter at RDPR Tweets. Or feel free to give us a call at the office on the same number we've had for 26 years on 0161 236 1122. And in the meantime, don't forget to rate, review and follow We Built This City. Thank you.